Yo, 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 yo. What's going on, man? What's going on? We're back oh, with you. I'm excited. You know what I mean? The second episode, man. The second episode. We got people from H Time DMV in the building. My guy, Louisiana, man. Hold Louisiana. On. Yeah, man. We got everybody in the building, man, from all over. Baton Rouge in the building, man. No 100. Listen, we got some sobering news to talk about. Oh, it's been it's been a sobering last what couple of about two weeks, baby. Yeah, about two weeks. About two yeah, weeks. Um, we, never, we never got to give our spill up. Yeah, we got to give our spill. So, so tell me this though, oh, you know, we, you know, obviously we're gonna talk about this realtor versus the people situation. Right. We're gonna talk about that, but. What is your take just in general? What what is your pulse? Do you see the situation from a real estate market perspective getting better? Do you see it getting worse? What's your take on that? What 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 are, what what are you excited about in the marketplace right now? Can you speak to that? The market that we currently have, or what? Yeah. What, what? Yeah, yeah. The market we currently have is a little weird, man. Like, it's a little weird. You know, they got the interest rates high, <laughs> the rent is high, uh, <laughs> they have no inventory, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a different market right now. Um, I don't know, man. We're going to see where it goes. But I think us as investors, us continue to market direct to sellers, um, we'll continue to get great deals. For me, and I'm sure for you, the interest rates really don't matter because we, we get great deals anyway. So, you know, I'm all in... Uh, any deal, any market, I'm all in at 50 to 60%. I don't care if it's a rental flip, whatever. So, you know, I'm still in at 50%. The interest rate is 9%, 8.5%. I'm still good as long as I'm making my cash flow. Uh, of course, my cash flow before is like 500 the door. It may be a little bit lower now, but as long as I'm over 350, I'm, I should be all right. What, what's your thoughts about this market right now? You know, that's a good question. So I would say this. I would say this. I think, honestly speaking, I think it's going to open up an amazingly wide door for creative finance specialists. I think creative, if you know how to do creative finance deals, if you know how to structure those types of deals, right? If you if you know how to talk to people, build relationships with people to where you can structure win-win situations, I think you're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna make out like a bandit. I really believe that. My only issue right now, if I'm being honest with you, oh, is that I even if you get a good deal in this market, I still think it's going to be a smaller struggle period that you still may go through. When you say struggle period, what you, what you mean by that? So, so, so what, what, I'm, what I'm seeing in the marketplace right now is even the renters, right? The renters are drying up right now. Right. Right. Because it's, of the overflow of uh, rentals. Because a lot of people that was, like they have a girl in New Orleans area. Uh, I know Brandon on here. He know her. She's a flipper. But now she's getting properties on the market two, three months. So now she's taking them off the market and just putting it as a rental because they're not selling on the market. And now she has to pivot because everything is changing. Now she got to put them in as rentals. So now we have way more rentals on the market than we had previously because the interest rates was a little lower and a lot of people was buying. So we got to deal with that too. And a lot of builders are also doing build a rent instead of build a sale. That is true. And so what do you think that effect is going to be on the marketplace if too many builders adopt that strategy? What, what, what's your thoughts on that? 
Um, I think what they're going to start to do is start selling these properties on terms so they don't have to, like, so a lot of people don't have to qualify for actual mortgage. The builders, whoever they have their mortgage with, they'll just start. That's what I think. They're just going to start selling them in-house financing, saying, hey, $10,000 over, pay me $1,100 a month, whatever. So they can get those pro those houses off their books and they're not responsible for maintenance because builders don't want to do all that maintenance, all that stuff like that. That's a fact. So listen, we're going to get into this. We got a lot of very high-level content to cover, but we got some people and some special guests. Yes, man. We got some great guests. That's going to help us break it down. Listen, my name is Byron, real estate investor out of Houston, Texas. Primarily focused on the wholesale space, do a little bit of creative finance, fix and flip. New to the build-to-rent space and extremely excited about that. In my particular market, I do believe that is a good space to be. I, I do believe if you do it right, if you're if you're conservative with your numbers, I do believe you it's a glimmer of hope in the new construction space because new construction is still sought after in this market right now is what we're seeing based on data, not my opinion. None of this is my opinion, but uh, oh, it's on you. What's up, y'all? Good afternoon. O'Neill Parker, real estate investor, entrepreneur, been investing real estate since 2016, full time entrepreneur, 2020. Do all things in real estate. I love rentals. I uh, love creative finance as well. And I'm about to start build to rent as well. I'm excited about that. Proud on them. Leverage to wealth. Teaching people how to leverage where they are currently in their life to get wealth in real estate. And that's me. So, yeah, man, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about building to rent too. So, when you said before we get to the guests, so when you said uh, Houston is a build to rent market or still good for build to rent, what do you mean by that? So, so, here's the thing number one, it's not flooded with build to rent. Right. So that's number one. So it's not a lot of people in that particular space. Right. So that's number one. Number two is we still have, you know, values that are maintained and, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty strong. Um, and so that's that's a good sign for us because we have so many people moving into the city. Right. But I can also I can argue that the same is true for markets like uh, Atlanta, markets like yeah, North Carolina, South Carolina. Right. Florida, that 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 is a reality there. Um, certain places in Alabama, I've seen that that market is ripe for as well. So so it, 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 you have to be strategic. So these are some of the signs that I'm looking for. I'm looking for number one: is there a thirst for new construction in the market? Meaning that new construction is still able to sell. Is there an influx of people moving to the city? Right. If you don't have people moving into your city, you you have you don't even run this play. OK, if you have a decent amount of appreciation taking place in your market, it's a good it's a good strategy. And also, if your market can maintain some good, stable rents, right, some good, stable rents. And I think it's a, I think it's a quality play. What 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 are, what, what are some of your indicators that got you on that bill to rent in your market? Uh, for me, some of the things that you're saying, people are still buying houses. Um, I'm not buying houses. People are looking for quality homes to rent. Like how the market is going, people don't want to rent old houses no more. Mm. You know, people want quality. It's not a lot. It's not a lot of renters. It's too much. It's a lot of supply. They got right. options. Right. And then they're not picking the old stuff. You know, they, they want the new quality stuff. And for me, I can build at a lower price and I could be have a brand new product, brand new roof, brand new AC, brand new framing, brand new insulation at a low cost. I can be all in a bill probably 60, 70 percent. 
and it's a brand new product instead of me buying an old house trying to fix it up prepared having problems having continuous problems if i have a brand new product you know i'm not getting no calls so let's just say seven six seven to ten years that's when everything will start breaking you know what would you say to somebody who's listening in right now thinking damn like that sound good but that i definitely wouldn't try to do no new construction can you speak to that person? Why would they be afraid of that strategy? And do you think that new construction is easier than a rehab? What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say new construction is definitely newer than a rehab because everything is brand new. You know, but I'm not, you think it's easier in terms of entry? Uh, you think anybody would, with new construction play or no? I would say it's not. It's not for the person that's uh, get aggravated quickly because you're dealing with the city at that point. Uh, you don't have full control of everything. It's a lot I of y'all, so I just want to put yeah. my so you know you you've been fighting with permits for six seven months. So yeah, you gotta have patience. You gotta have uh, pockets. You gotta have because if you bought the lot on let's just say a, a mortgage, you gotta pay that mortgage all that time, and you can't start your construction for six seven months. So you gotta have you gotta be paying on it. Uh, you also gotta put up money up front. You gotta do the the um, the report. You gotta do um, what is called the blueprints. You gotta do your, your soil test. You got to get a, a engineer that you got to do dirt tests. So you got to do a lot of upfront things. So if you don't have that money to put up to let them, let's just say 15,000 to sit six, seven months, it might not be for you. So you just got to be prepared, prepared before you get into it. And I would also say, if you are nervous, man, just go, go in, uh, in it 50, 50 with somebody that has experience so you can learn and it'd be a lot easier and then you won't fail as much. Absolutely. And and so and I and I want to highlight a couple of things in this space as well. Uh, one of the strategies that I'm doing that I think anybody can do. And I think if you are going to get into this space, listen to me, clip. I, I am a firm believer in not putting out a lot of money out of pocket on these plays. I'm a firm believer in partnerships with the seller of the land. Partner with them. That way you're not coming out of pocket while you waiting on permits. It's no reason for you to go get a loan to buy some land. In my opinion, in my opinion, you're going to go buy some land and go get debt and then wait while the city go back and forth with you on whether or not they're going to allow you to build what you're trying to build. That's goofy. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Partner, do some partnership plays, do a, a, a seller finance play. A lot of these, a lot of these people that own land, they willing to do these kind of plays because who, who, who else knocking on their door to get, get some raw land? You know what I'm saying? So you got to know that you, you, you bring in value to this particular seller. So it's a lot of different strategies you can run to be able to get into it with little to no money out of pocket. I have a several, I have at least two or three deals right now where I literally put up $0 for the land that I'm working on right now. $0. Only thing I put up my money for was for permits, plans, and different things of that nature, but zero for the land, meaning I I go into the deal owning that free and clear. That's the best way to do that. But we're going to get into these slides because we got a lot of information to cover. If And some of you probably heard some of this data on B.O.B. Shout out to all of the people that's on. If you from B.O.B., go ahead and put a B.O.B. in the chat real, real quick for the people who um, were on B.O.B. But here's the deal. For the people who on B.O.B., we're going to break this data down in a way that where you can visually see it. And we also going to dive deeper into exactly you know, what's going on. And we're going to give you some real walkaway strategies to allow you to be successful when you, when you move in, in this marketplace, but soberly successful. Here's the thing. 
Anybody telling you right now, and I'm just keeping it real, if they telling you to go out and just go buy crazy, they're giving you false, wrong information. I'm just keeping it a being with you. I'm keeping it a being with you. If they telling you to be aggressive in this market right now, not my opinion, they're, they're leading you astray. This is not the aggressive market because we ha the indicators haven't given us a game plan, right? The only place that you want to be aggressive is with some type of creative finance, right? Or if somebody giving you the deal at 50 cents on the dollar, 40 cents on the dollar, period. What's your thoughts on that, O? I agree with that. And I'll say the main thing is you got to get educated in the market that we're in. Because you just want to don't go out there playing if you don't have the education because you're going you're gonna to mess yourself up at the end of the day. Just because somebody wants to do subject to don't mean it's a good deal. Just because somebody want to do owner finance don't mean it's a good deal. That's a fact. The math got a math. Yeah, you don't want to buy a lemon or just say, oh, I got to create a financing deal and it's really a dud. You know? That's, you a, fact. That. That's so a fact. Education is, is, is the number one thing. Let's get into these slides, man. Um, because we talked about this a little bit on BOB, but I want you to see these numbers. You got to see the BOB family, man. Y'all came in deep today. Yes, indeed. I love it. I love it. This is gonna be very educational. Uh, so if you if you want to take out a pen and paper, this is definitely gonna be the time to do that because this is gonna be that kind of a uh, uh sessions. Let's get these slides popped up because we are finna dive deep into the realities of really what's going on, factual information. Um, let's get it popping. So we were talking about this morning, but they can actually see the visuals. They can actually see the visuals. And we're going to dive a little deeper. We're going to give a little bit more uh, than what we were able to give because you just can't see it. So look at quick. Yeah. New homeowners can expect to spend approximately 13 and a half years in their home before they will be able to sell at a profit over the purchase. Mortgage interest and sale costs that went into the home. This is ugly. Hey, that's crazy. Because let's just say probably the last two, three years, but you can hold the house for about a year and a half, two years, and you, you can make a little profit. You can make a little profit. Or, and, and here's the thing. Shout out to everybody here that's an investor because we know we ain't even finna do the deal unless we can sell it at a profit when we buy it. Correct. So this is the season 100%. We are not doing... No deals, period, where we can't buy it at a profit, where we can sell it at a profit. That's that's just that's just off top. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, oh, I'm going to be honest with you. I even think the people who are looking for retail and the house to live in, I think you should ask the same attitude. It's not to buy. It's not. Yeah, you're right. If if you buy a retail property right now, you it's a high possibility you are a loser in this market. <laughs> if you buy what it has on the MLS listing, listen to me, everybody clear. Even if it's home, you are it's a high possibility that you are a loser in this market. What's your thoughts on that, O? I agree, man. I agree. I don't know if our special guests go agree, man. He might say <laughs> Well, they realtors, right? Realtors go <laughs> realtors go. Yeah, we just gotta keep it real, man. So, you know, if you're looking to buy a new home, I would say you need to negotiate. Because a lot of people feel like just because the listing price is 220, they gotta be around that. I know when I got this house I'm in right now, it was listed at 244. I offered them 200. <laughs> <laughs> It was a builder. It was their last home because they, they sold the rest of the lots. 
So they was trying to get out of the neighborhood. I was like, all right, y'all got a list for 244. It's been listed, it's been sitting on the market for about, I think it was like maybe two months. Came in at 200. That's 215. <laughs> this is where people say no. Just like that. So, so my thing is, don't be afraid to shoot that embarrassing shot. Like, you know what I mean? You may feel a way about it, but just shoot your shot anyway. Let's get to the next slide real quick, because we got to get these special guests up. Y'all going to be amazed with our special guest tonight. I can promise you that. When I tell you we got some brilliant minds bringing some brilliant discussion, trust me. So here's the thing. Listen to this. Look at this, y'all. Look at this. Look at this. This is crazy. So so a at a 3% down payment, I want y'all to, and this this is why I like what, what Dunn Ice be talking about a lot, oh, because look at this, look at these numbers. And this is based on current interest rates. This is Zillow data. This is straight from Zillow. So at a 3% down payment, right? A 3% a three down payment would require 13 years and six months to make a profit. At a five, look, look, now look at this here. Look at these numbers. I want y'all to pay attention to the numbers. At a 5% down payment, right? You, you, it'll take you 13 years and three months. So listen, from a 3% to a 5% down payment, the only thing you saving is a couple months in terms of time that you can sell it at a profit. Listen, look at this right here. A 10% down payment, right, will give you 12 years to where you can make a profit and a 20% down payment will only give you 11 years and three months to turn around and sell that thing at a profit. That right there tells you that the, that that if you're not paying extra on those interest payments, I mean, on those mortgage payments, again, you're probably a loser. You're probably a loser. So that's why right now we're in a in a market. If we're savvy investors, if we're savvy investors or even home purchasers, we we need to not only buy a house that we can afford, oh, but we need to buy a house that we can afford and pay extra payments on. What's your thoughts on that? Because if not, you're not winning. All your money going to the interest, to, to, to banks. Yeah, because you got to realize uh, most markets, well, all markets are front-loaded interest. So you pay a majority interest like the first, what, eight years, nine years? Absolutely. So if you pay me $1,400, probably 800 is going straight interest. You know, probably 900 really. <laughs> So, so, so we got it. We got it. We got it. This is how we got to move. And it's going to be like this probably for, you know, I don't, I don't see, I don't see a future right now where this is changing. Next slide, please. Next slide. Let's get this thing popping. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's the thing you want to, you want to talk about this? Here? Oh, so. Yeah, got it. So longest longest purchase to sell profit times within five percent down payment, including interest payments. Years to make a profit from the purchase to sell. We talked about this the morning on BOB. So Cleveland, Ohio, twenty two years and ten months to make a profit. So you got to own a house for twenty two years before you make a profit. Bro, that is nuts. Bad rules. This you. Bad rules. Bad rules is my next door neighbor, bro. I'm talking about you keep. It used to be you keep your house for a year and a half, two years. You're good. You can make at least a thousand, two thousand. But now they're saying twenty-one years, six months. El Paso, Texas, was it about five, six hours from you? Nah, boy, you talking? That's a long way, boy. El Paso, way out of there. <laughs> that's next to Mexico. Yeah. Twenty-one years, four months. Akron, Ohio, twenty-one years, three months. Indianapolis, Indiana, we talking about twenty years and nine months. So all this is over twenty years. That that is crazy. 
So what this is saying is that we're not getting we're not getting appreciation in these markets. No. So when you when you thinking as an investor, right? So a lot of us are from all over the country, right? We're from all over the country. Let's go to the next slide real quick because I want to highlight something. We're from all over the country, but guess what? Oh, just because we're from all over the country, does that mean we need to invest no. where we live? Not at all. Right? So look at the facts. We got to look at the data. Got to look at the data. And we got to make decisions based on the data, not on how we feel, not because grandma might stay down the street. Right, yeah, we got, and then some of us. I'm gonna I'm keep it real with you. Oh, some of us gotta move. Oh, if you listen, if you are planning on being in a market where, right, where you can set yourself up to win, you need to be where winning is, is taking right? place. Because if not, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to change your investment strategy and you got to be real about what because look at this we went from 22 years before you can sell a profit to six years seven years eight years nine years to make a profit that's more normal that's more normal but but here's the thing though here's the thing though that just speaks to the fact that it's not it's not (laughs) it's not it's not fair None of this stuff is fair. None of it is just it's just not fair. It's not created equal. So what, what's your thoughts on that, O? Man, you said it. You know, just because you live in a city don't mean you have to invest in the city. You know, a lot of us, a lot of us don't look at the data up front, you know, especially as African Americans. We do what's popular, we do what's cool. So if you really want to be a, a um a savvy investor or just a, um, a better investor or a better business person is important, no matter what business you're in, to look at the numbers and look at the facts. Don't just go by what other people say and don't be doing, you know, follow the leader. You need to follow the facts and follow the data before you make your move. Absolutely. What you thought about that? Yeah, don't be a loser. <laughs> don't be a loser. Don't do it. Because you got to you definitely be a loser following somebody else, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be a loser because you, you, you don't have, you get you got options. You got options. Next slide, please. Next slide. So this right here kind of breaks down the time to break it. This is in Austin, right? Austin was really, really popping and it's starting to slow down. Appreciation the last five, six years, too. Yeah, yeah. But they slowing down. Look at these numbers now. So so now you 16 years before you can get where you need to get in terms of being able to turn make a make a profit, right? So, so, so it's just go to show that everybody is taking a little bit, but to me, even this is somewhat, you know, this is moving closer to normal, right? Because Austin was going crazy like the last two or three years ago. Let's go to the next slide. You want to catch this one up? Zillow reports 31 of Raleigh homes sold above listing price in December of 2021, 31%. 31%. So what this says to me is, oh, in 2021, how many people overpaid for properties in Raleigh? Really, really. All over the world. Yeah, it's nationally. And, you know, we was talking about that just because the interest rates are low doesn't mean you have to pay high. But a lot of people was paying high because the interest rates were low and they had a lot of competition. Where are them people at now if they need to sell low? They can't. <laughs> they can't. 
They can't sell because they bought way above the market. Does everybody? So first of all, does everybody see the value and just look? If you understand the value of looking at the data, not being driven by emotion, not being driven by what everybody else looked like they doing. Because listen, when this was popping, people thought they were cool buying properties a little over yeah. just because they thought that they were winning. Yeah, I got a I got a house ten thousand over asking. I really wanted. <laughs> <laughs> What you call that, loser? <laughs> Bro, they lost big time because here's the thing. Now the interest rates are higher. What you think going to happen to the prices? So they can't they can't refinance. Can't well, refinance. They can, but it don't make sense. Don't make sense. They can't sell it. Can't sell it. Well, now they got to give it to somebody that's going to take over subject to. <laughs> and who's the winner when they when when they take when somebody take it over subject to? The new owner. The new owner. Because they have to go do put down a massive down payment. Yep. All, all kind of credit checks. Right? That's crazy how that goes. <laughs> Next slide. This right here. This is some sobering news. So it says home sellers win a $1.8 trillion battle. Oh. Right? After jury finds conspiracy amid uh, realtors in the New York Times. So let's go to the next slide real quick because we're going to get into this discussion. And, and, and why this is so important, right? Why this is so important, right? It took them 11 days, 11 days in the case of Burnett versus NAR, um, the eight-person jury in Kansas City, Missouri, federal courtroom come back Tuesday and found the, Na the National Association of Realtors and other corporate defendants liable in the case. Right. Next slide. And here's the thing. <laughs> this is critical. The vast majority, nearly 90 percent of properties of U.S. homes are bought and sold through the real estate agents affiliated with NAR. Mm. So 90% of the homes that are sold go through the same people that just got sued. That's affiliated with the MLS. It's affiliated with the MLS and, and, and AR. And here's the thing. I'm looking at it like this, O, and we were talking about this earlier. I think that it's, it's a lot of tension because of the real estate market that we just talked about. Everybody is looking at who getting paid, what, how can I cut corners here? How can I cut price here, there, right? Who, who in my pockets and how can we get affordability down? And I think me personally, I think a lot of it is being blamed on realtors, but I do believe that it's some, some cleanup that needs to take place in that particular sector as well. What's your thoughts on this? I just think, man, that, 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 you know, it's a lot of realtors that's not, really doing, you know, they're not, they not doing the Lord's work when it comes to, 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 to getting these houses off the market and, and moving they're them. Not value. They're not saying. providing enough value. Mm. That's the listing agent or is it the buyer? Both sides. I think it, it needs to be shaken up because think about this, bro. How many times, honestly speaking, have you had a conversation with a realtor and you felt like you was honestly educating them people on, um, on, 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 on business? I'd say about 90% of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get to the next slide. Let's get to it, man. Let's get to it. So we got 
we got our guests coming up. Yeah, yeah, man. I know they've been sitting for a minute, man. They've been sitting for a minute. I think we need to introduce the first one, man. She's no uh, stranger to this show. She's no stranger to B.O.B. She's no stranger to us. You know, we got the first special guest coming in. Miss Jamisha, man. What's going on? Oh, no, it was Patty. It was Patty. Oh, it was, it was Patty. I just see, I just see Jamisha at the front, you know? Let's 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 get let's get a warm welcome from Miss Patty, man. We're talking about 20 years in the in the mortgage industry, man. Got a lot of value. She dropped a lot of game last Tuesday. What's up, Miss Patty? How you doing? Hi. Can you guys hear me okay? We can hear you loud and clear. Yes, Perfect. You Good doing? to see you. Thank you for having me again. Yes, indeed. Yes, you indeed. Might be regular. You might be a third host with us. <laughs> I'm always ready for the BOB crew. You know what I'm saying? We also, we also got to bring up Jamisha. She's a real estate broker and co-owner of Brayton Real Estate Group right here in H-Town with my homegirl, Nicole Handy. You know what I'm saying? Real estate investor, business, and productivity coach. So we definitely got to... And, and listen, when I tell you she's Shaw, the sister is Shaw. Uh, when it comes to this here, this here topic, so we definitely gonna gonna be gonna be in, delighted with the things that she got to say. Oh, you want to introduce our next clear, guest? Clear, clear camera. All right, we got our last guest coming in, man. We talking about the co-founder of Women in Real Estate. You know what I'm saying? They're making they they trailblazing across the United States right now, man. The women doing crazy things, man. We got Kalani Blackwell in the building. What's going on, Kalani? How you doing, ma'am? I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing better now. We got y'all in the building. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think y'all need some help. <laughs> we need some help. <laughs> we do. We do. So, so what's your thoughts about all this stuff going on, ladies? Well, where do you want to start? <laughs> what do you think is gonna? What do you? How is this gonna affect the realtors uh, moving forward? What's your thoughts? Well, if, I think when we're talking about this case, I think it's really important to remember that it's not final, right? So the jury, the jury came in with a verdict and they are going to be awarding the sellers in that case. Well, the really, the lawyers are going to have the biggest payday over $5.3 billion, right? And when I did the math, if you're talking about 500,000 sellers in the class action lawsuit, they're going to get maybe about less than $10,000 a pop, but these lawyers are going to have a very large payday. So it's not over. We haven't heard from the judge yet, and it's going to be appealed, and it's going to spend years in the appeal court, and immediately NAR, Keller Williams, and other brokers named in the case are going to be filing an appeal. Um, they're also going to be appealing to the judge to lower those damages. So I think it's important to understand that there's really nothing final yet. But what doesn't matter is kind of like, it's like that, I forgot who the guy's name was, but recently, if you get accused of something, right, it doesn't even matter how fast you go, go to court and what happens, right, because you have the court of public opinion. And right now, as or just today, I saw a realtor that I commented on on Twitter um, comment about how the agent, they were asked by a buyer, they, they were told by the buyer that the buyer doesn't want to pay fees 
doesn't want to pay any commissions for their services, doesn't want to pay for them separately. So the problem is that the case is not final, but this puts realtors in a bad light and realtors are now extremely concerned because their commissions are at risk and we just don't have a final case. And I think what's really important to talk about when talking about real estate agents in this, this whole concept of the people against you know, the uh, realtors is that, you know, the realtors were poorly represented by NAR's attorneys in this case. This was not a well fought case. You don't have that. We, I believe personally, after all the research conversations I've had with reporters that have been in the room um, during this trial, I really believe that NAR did a poor job of representing the interest of the realtors. When I first read about this case, and I was actually at um, a private event with Inman where a lot of brokers were talking about it. And I came away from that knowing that there was no possible way that NAR and these brokers would lose this case. And they did. We're talking about the largest lobbyist in the entire country. They contribute a lot of money. They pay a lot of those people and they, they do a lot, they say, with those dues that the agents pay to keep agents safe. So why did they lose this case? That's my question. Why did they lose this case? With the best attorneys in the business across the nation, why did they lose this case and how is this going to impact realtors? Right now, the problem is this is not final. There's going to be multiple cases across the country and realtors are concerned because they're going to buyers and sellers who are hearing about this are going to start are going to start challenging those commissions and they're going to challenge whether or not the buyers should be um, paid. They're going to challenge the ethics of the process and it's going to become a part of the conversation when they're engaging with buyers and sellers. Um, and of course, I can talk more about the details of the case if you have more questions on that. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, I want I want to hear. Um, I know Jamisha is a broker, right? Uh matter of fact, here in Houston. And um, I would love to hear what do you think, how is this affecting your brokerage? Uh, and 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 what's the what's what's the game plan to kind of like combat some of this? I'm so glad that you asked Byron. Okay, so I mean we've been talking about this nonsense is this, what is this lawsuit? What is the NAR lawsuit? And what's the implication on me, the realtor? So at the brokerage, we talk, we talk about this in detail because they appeal and they're gonna appeal. And I, I hope that it's gonna be overturned because just like Patty stated, we were poorly defended by NAR. It comes down to what you stated earlier, Byron, it's just value. So at the end of the day, what was not, not what was not fought was, Deserve commission and compensation for their work. The lawsuit was basically geared around the conspiracy to inflate commissions. If we're really talking about, hey, if you explain your value to your client and to your consumer, they're going to be okay with commissions being paid because at the end of the day, the market is what determines what we get paid. As you saw back in 2000, back during the COVID market, commissions were not the full standard commission that was that most people were receiving. And it was because the supply and demand was determining what the commissions and what the worth were at the time. So as a realtor, what I'm telling my agency is if we just focus on do your value proposition to your clients, at the end of the day, we'll be OK, because people just want to know if I'm paying my hard earned money, I have well, if I'm paying hard earned money to sell this house, I need to know that you are doing what 
what it takes to get property sold. End of the day, if we support our realtors, it's going to do well for everybody because we're going to get more profit out of that sale. So just show your value. That's all they have to do is value, value, value. Is value important? Yeah. And okay. we have to be professional. It's, I mean, it's setting the stage and the tone for. So at Brayton, like one of our core values is professionalism and being above. So if you be in this market, if you're going to filter and you're going to say, this is my, I am a real estate professional, you need to go in and be able to do your job. So I know a lot of realtors jobs. I've been in the industry 12. So I've been coming across a lot of the transaction that does, that do not do their job. But at Brayton, you go on top of your game and you're going to show those why you every bit of your compensation yes indeed yes indeed we appreciate that miss jamisha i got a question miss kalani so before we get too deep in all this what is this whole case about for the for the viewers that really don't understand what's going on i think that's a good question because i wanted to clarify that yeah because i know we get we, we, you know we're about to get in this and some people probably confused on what's going on yeah the case was really addressing price fixing and collusion, right? So NAR has such a monopoly over um, the MLS and all the local associations that uh, control the MLS systems. And the accusation or what they were found guilty of is price fixing by, um, so, well, I'll back up a little bit. A seller is paying both sides of a commission, right? Typically what the industry standard or however, however they've been taught to uh, talk to a seller is that the seller is responsible for paying um, the fees to the, the agents themselves as the listing agent, as well as the selling agent or the buyer's agent on the other side of the transaction. Now, inside the MLS, if you are an agent in your agent view, you can see what and how much commission is being offered by the cooperating broker. And so the accusation is that buyer agents were not showing or steering qualified buyers away from properties or listings that were not offering as much in commission, right? So then the argument was, well, we didn't know, we didn't have to uh, pay for those commissions, right? So that's what this is about. It's about collusion. It's about price fixing. And with NAR's, um, with NAR monopolizing the market in that way, I mean, they have completely and this is coming from someone who's licensed, who is a part of the association. I'm a part of it because I have to be. You don't really have a choice in some markets. And NAR is so present there that in order to, uh, if your broker is associated with your MLS organization, you as a realtor have to be as well, right? They don't give you any options. So that being said, we're already paying out of the wazoo for, for fees just to be a part of this organization, just to be able to say when we go and market to clients to list their properties, we will list your house on the MLS, we'll list it on the internet. In order to use this service, it would be, be it would behoove you to offer a commission to the cooperating broker so that they're incentivized to sell your house. There's a lot of there's a lot of nuance in that, but I'll stop there for now. Oh, we. I'd like to add something to that if it's okay. I think that's well said. If we, if we can, we're gonna take a quick sponsor break and we'll get straight back to Miss Patty. Is that okay? Let's do it. Let's do it. What's up, y'all? So most people struggle with sales. A lot of us in real estate, and we struggle with our sales. We struggle with follow We struggle with leads. And we're just basically missing out on deals. For me, I just got on Taskify CRM. They send messages out for you. And look, a lot of us have work. When you get off of work, you have hot leads ready for you. Make sure you check out Taskify CRM. I'm telling you, it automatically replies for you. And look, 
it sends you multiple messages. Like we're talking about drip, drip campaigns, so you're not missing up on the lead follow-up. So make sure you check out Taskify CRM. Use coupon code NoStingyEnergy to get 10% off. I'm about to show y'all inside my CRM so I can see how it really works. Make sure y'all check it out. Peace. So, Ms. Patty, you wanted to add? Yeah. So the jury found NAR, Keller Williams, and other brokerages guilty of conspiracy, right? So thinking about what, what does it mean if there's a conspiracy, that means that a group of people secretly got together to create a plan to inflict harm on a group of sellers. Wow. And they're saying that there was they found them guilty of a conspiracy to inflate commissions, because if the shared compensation rule did not exist, if it didn't in fact ex exist, that sellers would pay less commissions. We're talking about a practice that has been a, a, what they, this has been in, happening in practice for more than 100 years. There's full disclosure. So they're saying that the NAR rule, if that NAR rule was not existing and was not enforced and the seller's agent, the listing agent did not have to list the shared compensation in the MLS system as required by NAR, then sellers would pay less commission. Okay. This isn't about buyers, agents and selling agents showing value in the closing arguments. The plaintiff's attorney stated, that I never made this about the agents. This isn't about the realtors. And the problem is that realtors are gonna bear the brunt of the bad news because nobody actually looks into the case. They're, but realtors are gonna be like, Jamisha um, said that you have to explain your value. We're gonna be okay, we're gonna get paid. And I actually think that that is, you know, a little bit, you're taking it a little bit too lightly because the judge, if the judge does rule it, if the judge does agree with the jury, there could be an immediate injunction in place that would remove the ability to put the put those buyers commissions in the MLS as early as January. So it's the the commission is on the chopping block. This practice itself is on the chopping block. And I would argue that it's not about value. It's not about a buyer not understanding the value of the realtor. The value of the realtor exists because they have to gather information and they have to create opportunities they have to explain the data they have to take you to multiple places and they're doing they're coordinating services and they're doing all of this without any income until the deal closes so i don't think there's a question as to whether or not the buyer's agent brings value i think the question is if this rule is removed because the judge is going to find the judge is going to agree and that they're going to enforce this and let's say that the appeal, appellate court doesn't work over time then if this changes the way business has been done for over a hundred years, what does that actually mean for the buyer, right? The buyer is not going to pay two to 3% of the sales price out of their pocket to buy a house. And the next solution would be, should we then negotiate such that the seller would pay that commission and cover it? Because my agent has to get paid. Now, if I'm, if the house is sitting on the market for 30 days and it has no offers on it, then maybe the seller is going to be willing to come up with another 2% to cover the sellers to cover the agents commission but where's that going to come from some people are suggesting well maybe it'll
you get rolled into the loan. I will bet you a hundred thousand dollars that that's not going to happen because that takes way more risk for the, that's way more liability for the uh, uh, lending company. And it adds to the loan amount for the buyer. So how would the commission get paid? If you are strictly a buyer's agent and this rule gets take, gets thrown out by January, 2024, and you're expecting buyers who are completely struggling at right now with affordability to come out of the pocket to pay two to 3% buyer's commission with all of the technology available to them today and with the option to go directly to the listing agent, I think you have a bigger problem on your hands. Wow. I just, Jamisha, can you please respond to that? No, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with the portion of who's going to be impacted and more so than the buyer agent. A realtor is here to seek to provide representation to the buyer. And so the person that I believe that is going to be on the, uh, on the, the poor side of this, it's, it's going to be the buyer. The buyer is going to be impacted. And we have all these consumer organizations and consumer protection agencies that are there to protect the buyer, the consumer. And when we're talking about the consumer that's going to be impacted the most, it's going to be the most disadvantaged and most likely the minority consumer. Yes. But let's just be real. I've no clients that have chosen. You do have the option now as a buyer not to use a buyer agent. You're not forced to use a buyer, buyer's agent to be able to purchase real estate. You go through, they still have, we have these opportunities now. Technology, you can go through, go directly to the seller. You can have all these options. But all the realtors that are watching, every realtor that's on this platform knows those same clients call us back because of everything that they wish they would have known up front. They wish they would have had a realtor. They wish they would have known that everybody on here is not savvy investors. So savvy investors have a different, you know, savviness around and knowledge base around real estate. But the everyday consumer who is right there purchasing homes, their first homes to use as their primary residence, they're going to be the ones that are going to be the impact at the most. And Ooh. that's what's going to have to be determined by the consumer protection agencies, by the government. How are we going to make sure that these people have fair representation that they can afford and not have to seek out doing it on their own or something, some some discount broker to be able to help them through the process that's not going to give them the adequate, adequate amount of representation they need? That's right. the problem. That's that's key. So real, real quick. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is important. So is there so so what I'm hearing is two separate things. So Patty, you saying that it's not a value proposition. Jamisha is saying that it it's, is it's, a value okay. proposition. Okay. So I think it's a value proposition because a lot of consumers are not educated on what what we have in this conversation, a bunch of savvy real estate professionals, the everyday consumer in a lot of cases don't they don't understand what's going on. So yeah. the value is gonna be us educating them on you know, what, what's going on and how to combat this, the creative opportunities and the creative ways to get through, you know, selling their homes on the market. So that's why I said we're going to explain the value because our consumers, a lot of our consumers have no clue, even if it's constantly in the media, if it's not on a little social media, they're not, they're not paying attention to what's going on. That's the point I mean by the value as well. I'll, Sorry, I'll, Byron. Something real quick, because this is important. This Go ahead. Is, because we also, Patty, you know, on the other side of that, we have people who can barely afford. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, 
three percent uh, uh, down payment. Can I have people can't afford to get the inspection on the, the take for the for the inspection. We get the closing costs taken care of, the down payment, get down payment assistance, get the closing costs negotiated, and still can't take care. Can still can't afford to get the inspection on the property. That's Go ahead, Byron. I was just giving you more examples. That's four hundred dollars. Right? Let me let me say yeah. something. If you had a hundred real estate agents lined up right now in this room from across the country, and we asked each and every one of them in their value proposition statement to the buyer, how often do they say the phrase? The seller pays the commission every time they ask, how do you get paid? And they respond, the seller pays the commission. Right. So think about that. So mm -hmm. you as agents are going to have to reframe that exact Absolutely. position when you're having those consultations and you're sitting down with the buyer and you now would potentially expect that they're going to pay you directly or for some in some way shape or form they're going to have to come up with a strategy you're going to have to come up with a strategy to have that covered then the question is going to be how then do you justify you know two four six eight ten fifty thousand dollar commission for writing an offer so now i'm 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 presenting the challenging thought but i do not believe that buyers would be as you said, the general public will not be savvy mm -hmm. enough to go out here and gather information. But I do have to say, as an active mortgage banker who I've done this for 21 years and I do a lot of transactions and I take a lot of applications, even in this market, I'm averaging about $30 million a month in applications. So I'm speaking to the buyers and I'm looking at what's happening in actual practice. And I can tell you that a majority of buyers are doing their own research on the property, going to open houses by themselves and then contacting the agent and saying, hey, would you mind writing this offer for me? Right. Mm -hmm. Can you write this offer? And then you go and pull disclosures that were already provided in many cases by the seller that were already in the portal and available. And you're providing that to the agent, to the buyer. Right. So I want to challenge you, because if you if you see where technology is headed and you can see that huge tech players see blood in the water and they're going to be able to create a marketplace where buyers can download that information. They're going to the open houses alone anyway. They're looking for the properties alone anyway. They're getting the new listings at the tip of their fingers anyway. So your value proposition can no longer be the sellers paying for the commission. And by the way, check out this open house, right? So it is a humongous challenge for buyers agents. And I think it's going to definitely change the way business has been done. Wow. Oh, I, I want to add to that too, because part, of the, problem, part of the problem is, is that, and we talked about this often, it, it doesn't take much to get a real estate license. You, you Some people have a hard time with that yeah. test, but you study, you pass that test and all of a sudden you have a license. Nobody teaches you how to actually run a business, right? And so we know that 10% of the agents are doing 90% of the deals. And anyone who could rub two pennies together over the last three to four years could find work to do. So I think a lot of the argument and what's discussed all the time is, is a, an agent's work as valuable as what they get paid for. They make the most money out of anybody in the transaction. Typically they make more than the, the mortgage broker. They make more than all the ancillary services, all the escrow fees, title fees, things of that nature, right? They make the most commission. Are they worth, is that service worth that commission? Well, I guess it depends on the complexity of the deal. When 90% of people do not or 90% of agents have not yet had to experience what it means to to work hard to represent someone to market your business to go through difficult negotiations right um so so when people ask that question of are they worth that well maybe your realtor wasn't but not all realtors are created the same way yeah, they're not i got a question i know uh 
Jamisha, Jamisha hit on it like the, the, the sellers. I mean, the buyers can't afford to do inspections, which is like between four dollars and $600. And then Patty also said that they won't put um, the commission inside of the mortgage. Now, if the buyer's agent negotiates down, let's just say the purchase price is $100,000, they negotiated down to eighty eight. dollars Is there any way they can put the buyer's commission in there then? No, so that came up in another conversation. That did come up in another conversation I was partaking in today online. And the problem is, is that in the purchase, your your price is set at the market value, right? So just like right now, if you ask for a seller credit, the seller credit, it doesn't get added to the purchase price unless there's room in the market value, right? So there has to be some sort of room in the market value in order for that to occur. Do we do we agree? so far on that so you can't well, add it on top of the sales price no you got to negotiate so the if the appraisal came back at 100 let's just say they buy it at 88. so now they have room because don't they what the fha is with 96 like a wholesale deal no you can't do that because the loan amount is based on the appraised value or the purchase price the lower of the two so you don't add that. Now that could be a potential solution that enters. So you might have a, a I was going to say subprime, but you might have a non-QM lender create that. Oh, oh man. <laughs> oh man. Somebody pulled the plug. So <laughs> but I mean, you can't just, I think to what she was, what she was saying, you can't just adjust. I mean, in that, in that instance, right. You would have to then increase the purchase price. So mm -hmm. if you're saying you're under contract at 88 K appraisal comes in, it's worth hundred K. First of all, me as the buyer, I said, I said, I was going to pay 88 K. Nobody said I was going to pay, pay appraised value. Normally the negotiation is the other way around when the appraisal comes in under value. But in that scenario, uh, to accomplish what you're explaining, we would have to raise the purchase price in which changes the affordability for the buyer and changes. So they'll raise the purchase price and do a seller credit, I'm sure, for the whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been talked about too. I saw something about that. Yeah. Like, could you, you know, um, offer, could, could a seller technically offer a credit to the buyer that would then cover the cost for the buyer to pay for that commission? I mean, I don't know the nuance or the legalities of how that'll work out, but I mean. Because I'm sure if all this goes through, it's going to be a new norm of everybody just doing it. I'm sure. Oh, it's going to change the industry completely. But the truth is, is that commissions have always been negotiable. The problem is, is that sellers have said that they, they didn't know that and they weren't aware of that. And, yeah. and, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is you could literally say, no, I don't, I'm selling this house. Why should I pay for your agent? Why should I? And the truth is, is that's probably the most cost efficient way to, you know, pay that cost. It, it It's a lot less. And, and I guess, depending if the deal can't support it, right? Every, every agent should be going to their listing appointments with a net sheet at the end of the day, right? Yes, with a net sheet that explains, okay, uh, based on my fees and my services, this is what I charge and yada, yada, yada. At any point that, that, that math doesn't math, then that commission should be the first thing to go. But, you know, Kalani, you just mentioned something and that, that is a little, you know, that speaks to what Jamisha was just talking about, right? How do sellers not know that that, commission is negotiable so so in our contracts kalani you you've made some great points in our contracts one thing about being a member of nar is it's a consumer it's, it's a trade association but it has a lot of consumer protections rolled in mm -hmm. what you're going to find in our contracts on our contracts it states the contracts are negotiable one thing that i think that's not going to be as big of a uh when we look at our compensations for our listing agreements 
the seller is not in the contract the way our contracts are written, at least here in Texas, they're not paying the buyer for selling the home. They're paying, this is the buyer's, this is the seller's broker's compensation. So the seller's broker's compensation from that compensation that's provided to the listing broker, we can use part of that compensation for how we choose to. And this is if we're communicating properly what's already in our contracts, in our listing, in our representation agreements on the listing side and on the buyer side. It already speaks to the language that these prices are not fixed. These are negotiable. And as long as that we're clearly as industry professionals, clearly communicating what's already in our trade agreements and our representation agreements that they're paying the broker. So if I have a listing client, that listing, that owner of that home is saying, hey, Jermisha, I'm going to give you 10 percent. I'm Hey, this 10 percent is my fee for selling your home. 10 percent. With that 10 percent, use this 10 percent to market my property and get it sold at the top of the market. Jermisha, as a listing broker, can say, hey, you know what? An incentive for getting this property sold, I'm going to take a piece of that and I'm going to give it to the other broker who can bring me a deal and get this taken care of. Mm. And that's an opportunity that I have. The way the contracts are written, the prop, the monies are given to the broker. The contract states in there how much we're going to provide and how much we are willing to offer to the buyer's broker. But we're, the contract doesn't state that that money is being given directly to uh, to the buyer. We're just using that as incentives to be market, to have a competition and an edge on the market to be able to properly market your home. And sometimes commissions in a, or is a very, very good incentive to getting your property sold. Let's that's just be honest. That's a fact. So tell me this though. Tell me this though, Jamisha. Do you think this decision, any parts of this decision actually best represents the the, the 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 people do you feel like the people are going to win from this decision it depends it depends by i'm sorry for cutting you off byron you know i'll get very passionate it depends like i stated earlier the people you're talking about okay if we're talking about the disadvantage the minority consumer who doesn't have enough money to come up with their down payment and their closing costs i'm sorry i'm shaking my head that client is not going to be best served by the go it alone using the technology, using trying to figure it out. Let me pull my own disclosures. Let me do this. Let me do that. These real estate contracts can get in, in contracts and situations can be very confusing. They no real estate transaction is the same. Every real estate professional on this call can let you know no real estate transaction is the same. You cannot have a one system fits all on how to get through this transaction because they get complicated. That's so, okay. yeah, you do have some situations that you're like, OK, thank you, God. This was this. I needed this one. I needed this easy transaction to get through. But the way we make it seem easy is because we're professionals a lot of the time and we've been through it before and we can help our clients get through this process with ease. But yeah, the client that's going to be disservice. Yeah, I, I told you, I really I am trying to figure out how who's going to be the one advocating for that client, because I love my realtors. I'm a realtor. I've been a listing agent, buyer's agent, been in all. But who's advocating for those clients? Because those are our family members. They're our church members. They're, they're all those people who are advocating those when they're in those real estate streets getting eaten up by those savvy investors, clients, sellers, when they have no representation. That's my concern. Mm. Well, I, I would challenge that too, because I think they are going to have representation, even if you get, even if you, there is a removal of the buyer's agent 
separating the two, right? So imagine, Dermisha, that you are now exclusively a listing agent. And instead of, let's say, a 6% commission, I know in some lower cost areas, that commission is 7%. So let's say it's somewhere between 5 and 7%. So now you get to provide the seller with a commission of maybe 3.5%, let's say. So at 3.5%, you bring in all of that revenue. And now you have someone like a transaction coordinator and a licensed real estate agent that's on your staff and their job is strictly to take care of buyers. So it's still, I'd, I would argue that they're not, the buyers will not lose representation and the overall fees would come down. So after the great financial crisis and there was massive shifts in regulation to lending industry, I was involved in working through all of that entire period. And so it used to be that you would broker a deal and you would make 2% because you're charging up front and then you would make 2% on the back end and that wasn't disclosed to the buyer. So the average loan officer was making 2 to 4% on every transaction. So of course you have the great financial crisis and a majority of that was put on the banks. There was the bailouts and then the regulation came in. When the regulation came in, it required a massive increase to transparency and understanding for the consumer. It made it to where the consumer themselves are without excuse, right? So before, if you had a HUD statement, they called it a HUD back then, you have all the numbers written out and you could say, that was too complicated, I couldn't understand it. So they revised the entire disclosure process to where you can't say you didn't understand it. And when you sign it, the lender must wait 72 hours before you can even go to the closing table. So there were regulations and systems put into place from commissions to practices, to compliance, to disclosures and so on. And as a result, if you were a commission-based loan officer, guess what? You couldn't sit on your ass and do one deal every three months and live anymore. You had to work and you have to be a professional and you have to focus on volume if you wanna survive. So it knocked out a lot of people from the business. Now in real estate, imagine if this regulation comes in, it's not going to eliminate buyer representation. It's going to eliminate having multiple agents involved in the transaction that are, and it's gonna reduce commissions and it could change the way that that process is handled for the buyers. So I would argue that it doesn't mean that the buyers won't have representation. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that the buyers need that. And I also agree with you that, that the, the most disadvantaged communities will have the biggest impact here because you're right if you're rich and your pockets are deep you can write a check to have the best buyer's agent go out and get you a deal that doesn't mean they're going to get you any better of a deal if they weren't at the table because if you go directly to the listing agent which is a legal practice so if you're a buyer and you walk into my store and i'm selling t-shirts right and i say well this t-shirt is 15 dollars and this t-shirt, it's the exact same shirt, but I'm going to charge you $20 because I'm going to fold it. I'm going to put it in a bag and I'm going to take it to your trunk for you. Which t-shirt would you like? You're getting the same t-shirt. I'm giving you the same warranty on the t-shirt. You got the same cleaning instructions for that t-shirt. You just have to pay a little bit more for me to package it and walk it to the car for you. So that's really the difference. Now you're, you're going to be able to go to a brokerage. You're going to be able to work with a licensed realtor who is, has insurance, who has protection in place, and they're going to be able to properly represent you. It's just going to change the way the shared compensation rule is put into effect. Chantel made a comment that I really do want to address. You talked about for sell by owner people, agents, they run to an agent when they can't sell the property. It's not because it's because the sign in the front yard that says FSBO and their ad on Craigslist is not going to reach as many people as the MLS system. 
So remember that if big tech comes in and challenges the position of the real estate agent and creates marketplaces, and I can name a few that have already started, if there's a marketplace that is just as effective as Zillow or the MLS for the seller to go direct, now they could, I, I would argue that they have that option to do that. Of course they need representation. Of course disclosures are a big problem. Of course selling without an agent is absolutely fucking stupid. That's not in question here. But in the entire structure of the business can change and this doesn't mean that the buyers will not have representation. This means that a lot of the tasks and duties could be eliminated and concentrated, increasing the re re responsibility of the listing agent and then reducing costs for buyers and sellers. I have a question. I have a question on that because, you know, matter of fact, if you've been in a, this, this is good. This is good. <laughs> listen, listen, if you've been in a, a wholesale transaction or a direct to seller transaction, put a number one in the chat, please. Anybody that's ever been in a direct to seller transaction. If you've been in a direct to seller transaction, let's go ahead and put that number one in the chat. I want to see. Okay. Here's the deal. This is critically important. O'Neill, how many times when you were in that direct to seller, right, to, uh, uh, transaction, did you have a smooth transaction? Okay. What was the percentage of smooth transactions to rough transactions in that equation? Honestly, uh, smooth, I'd say about, about 60%. 60% of them went smooth? I'd say so. Okay. And then 40 now, when, you talk about, when you talk about smooth, you're talking about what, talking to the seller, everything good, or are you talking about title search, all that stuff? I'm talking about on both sides of the transaction, title search, title. Oh, no, no, no. I'd say maybe 15 to 20. 15 to 20. 20. 15, yeah, I'm going to yeah. be honest with you. I, I I think that's about accurate. Here's the thing. I'm talking about smooth transaction from on Everything the buyer smooth. side, on the seller side, okay? So we got buyer side, seller side. Then we got another side that nobody has even talked about today. Then you got the the title side, okay? That's a, that's a side. How that's many times have we been in a, in, a, in, a nego in, in a negotiation between a buyer and a seller and title issues come up that the seller never heard of before? The buyer never heard of before? How many sellers understand how to get through an af a, a airship of affidavit? Right? Most of them start tripping once they, oh, man, you got this lien for $1,500. It's $1,500. They start tripping. You understand what I'm saying? So... When we're thinking about real estate professionals helping people navigate these situations, I want to know, Kalani, I want to I speak to Kalani. Number one, what's your thoughts on what I just said? Do you think this is going to present a problem? And I want to hear from Jamisha on this too. Do you think th these problems, because see, a lot of times we're thinking about real estate as if it just all works out. I don't think that shit just, it just don't always work out. It'd be problems. It'd be hurdles you have to overcome to get that transaction from 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 we all agree to sell to actually put money in the bank. Mm -hmm. What's your yeah. take on that? Yeah, I mean, that's the value that we're talking about, right? That's the value that an agent brings. I mean, if you're asking if, if, if someone is spending two, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars on the largest, most important purchase of their entire life, there's no way in hell I'm going to do that without an advisor of some sort. And I want to challenge and push back a little bit to what Patty was suggesting, which I don't think that she's saying that this is how it's 
has to be this idea that you can go to one broker, um, one broked company can represent both sides of the transaction. No way I'm hiring someone who works for the seller to represent me, right? I'm not doing that. So, I mean, that being said, I think the value is is there. This is also partly what's wrong with this realtor world is that, um, and, and I want to point something out. Realtors work for brokers, right? So when a, a, a listing agreement gets signed, a realtor is there facilitating, but that listing belongs to the broker. And so the brokers are handling the money and taking all of the risk here. And so when you um, are hiring a brokerage to, to represent you, I think that it's important to understand that the the skills that they that they possess, like an agent who could be offering the same service for a lot less, who doesn't have those same skills, doesn't have all that same experience, right? To to Patty's point, I can go in and make sure that they're taken care of. Well, to to who who who. And how do I know what those skills are? How are you going to just put what I need into a box and say, hey, I've got these skills, but you've never dealt with any of the scenarios that you just mentioned, Byron, right? Clearing clouds on title, um, dealing with deaths, dealing with um, liens, mechanic liens, judgment liens. I mean, all those, the relationships that you need to push through that really, really matter. The negotiation skills really, really matter. And then helping some, you know, what are people willing to give when those things do come up? How do you go back and renegotiate, tell a seller, look, I know you thought you were going to get this much, but you're not going to get this much. And they're going to say, well, that's all I have. Well, why do I have to come out of pocket? I'm paying you 6%, aren't I? Why don't you give something here, right? All of those conversations have to be had. There's a lot of nuance to it. So for someone to think that you could go without any representation, I think would be foolish. So, Jamisha, what's your thoughts on what Patty was saying in terms of having a system where, and I don't want to misrepresent what Patty was saying, but it sounds like it'd be one realtor and maybe, I don't know, you know, like a transaction coordinator and then technology kind of facilitating the entire transaction. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a feasible solution or do you think that's an unreasonable uh, uh, claim? Uh Uh-oh, your mic is out. You got to, oh, you mute it. You mute it. I, I think there are situations. I don't think Patty is being ridiculous. And I want to make that clear. I think that it's not a, a one. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think there is a one size fits all solution to what is going on. So a lot of the things that uh, were addressed, they're going on in some areas already. Uh, there are situations that uh, the listing broke their discount brokers where you have for sale by owner, you know, FISBOs that are listing companies that just list and put I'll put you on MLS. So you're not just being represented and marketed by a sign that you put outside that no one can read that isn't legible. There are $500 fee brokerages that can put your information on the MLS where other people can see. Those people are still not getting their houses sold. Uh, there are there are. So I'm in Texas in certain areas, dual agency. Uh, they have different rules to dual agency. Some people are doing that. Teams are one thing since since when I started in real estate, teams were not as abundant as they are now. There are teams that can do that. There are teams that have the listing agent. They have buyers agents. They have client care coordinators, transaction coordinators, buyers agents, they have the capability to do that. And what Kalani was speaking to is, will they do it with at the same fervency and relationship building with the same intent that it will when you get to choose and select your own realtor based on relationship or you choosing it by the market standards and not because it's just a low cost option. 
So some of those options are already there that she was speaking of. So it's it's not a one size fits all solution. And I think we need to be uh, real about that. Mm. But speaking of not one size fits all solution, let's just be real. Let's, we, be real. let's follow, follow the money. OK, this lawsuit. I was at a Riz Media conference, uh, just like Patty was speaking. I was at these conferences and we were all laughing and joking like this is silly. This is funny. I can't believe that it's even went this far at this case. We were all laughing and joking that this this lawsuit was being taken on. Then we started seeing that these big, large corporate uh, brokerages were settling. It was like, what's going on there? So it's like, let's see how this pans out. Let's follow the money. If we follow the money, I'm sure we're going to see probably some big tech solutions and big tech companies in the real estate marketing sector that might have their hands in what's going on, because Ooh. that's who I can't see. Let's just just be honest. Some people, technology is a driving force in every industry that we've seen gains in, even in our own industry in real estate. A lot of people that have been able to conform and being able to use technology as a tool they have replaced some of those realtors who are not as uh, tech savvy or have not been able to embrace technology. So we can't ignore the fact I'm not going to name the names of these big, uh, <laughs> these, these big, y'all know who I'm talking about. Okay. These big companies who are acquiring all these real estate uh, subsidiaries and, you know, vendor partners and see, you know, CRM companies. And we know y'all know who I'm speaking about. OK, I don't have to speak to that, but we do have to keep it's just it's a SWOT analysis in our business. We have the strengths, our weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And this is I this is a definitely a threat. And we just have to put a plan in place, because if you don't think these big tech companies are coming for our industry, when they care, care less about the consumer, you crazy. Tell me this, though. Do we welcome a world where, where tech eliminates the realtor and we're able to do these transactions 100% through tech and we just don't pay no commission because tech handles all of it, right? Or maybe a couple somebody, of somebody paying tech. Tech ain't doing stuff for free. They're not a, a non-profit organization. <laughs> so somebody getting paid from it. Tech doing it for for free. Now you go, you go ahead. Do you want the, the, the plan? Can I get the plus agent plus package where I get good customer service? You know, somebody getting paid. Let's talk to somebody getting paid. So, so Patty, real quick, since she brought it up, I want to hear. So, Patty, do you believe that, because there's a lot of people that believe tech can really be a solution to all of this. Do you really believe that despite all of the issues that we were talking about with, you know, with just dealing with people, people make real estate complicated, right? Do you think tech can really solve those people, that people component of you know, buying one, two, three Main Street for $125,000. There's no amount of tech that could ever replace the importance of a human being in the real estate transaction process. It's too nuanced. It's too emotional. It's too personal. It's too intricate. There are way too many details, right? The human being in the process can't be replaced. This is an, an industry where you can hire a customer service department in India that's going to handle all the calls that come in, right? And also 
real estate is unique in that it's very hyper local. It's a hyper local business. And also you're not going to ever encourage an, a, a, a legion of buyers to buy sight unseen. So the hyper local nature of real estate and the fact that it's a highly emotional transaction, most of the time when you're dealing with uh, primary residences, you're dealing with um, this inability to have technology replace the human being. But what, what technology can replace is the marketplace. So, you know, Zillow is most people who want to buy a home start on Zillow. They don't start by going and knocking on a realtor's door and saying, hey, would you mind setting me up on a drip campaign um, through your portal so you can monitor my activity? They're on Zillow. And so the thing is, the answer is yes, you can absolutely have technology replace the marketplace. You can, the argument here has been that you don't want to have dual agency. Dual agency isn't good for the buyers. Yeah, we understand that. Many, many listing agents will say, if you go to them, they're going to put someone on their team, give them a small portion of the commission and say, you represent them to alleviate me from liability. But if the general practice, if the rule of the shared compensation gets thrown out of the window and this practice changes, a listing broker, it will cost the seller less money to sell their home but the listing agent can capture more of that commission on their side and they would put licensed people in place to properly represent. So it would change the industry. You would need less people involved. The benefit goes back to the listing agent and technology can be used to streamline things like signing of disclosures and marketplace issues. So getting the information and getting the data. So when I started in this business and we were going to get data, you know how you buy a list and you pay to have it um, skip traced? Well, you would go to a title company and you would get a book the size of an encyclopedia with everyone's name and phone number on it. You'd flip those pages and you'd make those phone calls. So that has changed so much to where in today's market, when a client goes into escrow, the title company will send them a portal. They answer a lot of the statement of information through technology, and they'll even deliver their earnest money deposit, depending on the side the size of that check through those portals at the title company. Technology is disrupting the business. Technology is streamlining the business. So there is no saying that technology could not replace the marketplace issues and change the way that the real estate business is, is handled. Um, and I also want to say that, oh, I lost my train of thought. I was going to go back to it. Um, if I remember, I'll say it, but um, when you say what, what uh, Jaquita is saying, Zillow is trying to take over. Let me tell you what Zillow is doing. Zillow takes all of the leads and they are having in-house people cater to those leads. And guess what's happening? They're finding that the lead, the people that they have in place that are sitting in call centers cannot convert those leads. So they've created even more systems in place to have those go back out to realtors and they share commission because they're realizing that their methods to capture the client isn't working. Another great example of why the technology community cannot replace the human. So when I think about how technology can impact the marketplace and I think about how big corporations, if they came in to disrupt and eliminate commissions and they were going to capture more of the money on their own, it makes me wonder again, why did NAR lose this case? It's important to note that in the state of Missouri, the law in the state of Missouri clearly states that the shared compensation rule is legal. It's not even illegal in the state of Missouri. 
And a jury of eight people who are filled with renters, they're all renters, so they haven't gone through the process of buying or selling a property, ruled against NAR and the brokerages, stating that there was a conspiracy to inflate commissions through the practice of noting that through the MLS, which is required, not only is the membership required, but the notation is a required practice by NAR. Remember, they were found guilty of a conspiracy. And as a result of this conspiracy to use the MLS system to note that commission, it could create larger commissions being charged to sellers because without that requirement, they're saying sellers would necessar wouldn't necessarily pay the same amounts of commission. Well, let me tell you, commission is not set across the board. So the case could not be more bullshit than it is. So why did they lose? Unless there's some benefit in them losing this, I don't know. Oh wait, oh wait. I, you know Ooh. it's funny because yeah, th th this is this is deep, folks. Yeah. So real quick, you know, because we we you know we get into the to the place where I really want to start talking about solutions. Um, you know, what do we what do we take from this? How do we navigate this? Um, how do we win? How do we win from all of this information? Uh, did this did, did the buyers win? Did the sellers win? Did the people win? Or is this just a whole bunch of nothing about nothing? I want to know. So so real real quick, if we could get all of you ladies to to kind of speak to um, number one, what do you think is going to be the future of this based on what you're seeing in your markets, based on the clients that you're talking to, right? And the data that we've already presented. And also, you know, how do how do you position yourself to win uh, in this environment? If y'all don't mind, let's go. Let's go. Let's go with Kalani first. Yeah, let's go with Kalani first. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we, there's a good answer to that yet. I think that there's going to be a lot of time that's going to go by that you know this could be wrapped up in court for years. But I think what it's going to do is going it's going to prompt the conversation. I think sellers are now going to start asking, "Do I have to pay?" You know, well, the answer now is I don't have to pay, right? I, I know I don't have to pay. There's been precedent set. Um, it says right here, I, I don't have to, you know, this commission is negotiable. So those conversations definitely need to be had. Um, but I also think it's going to disqualify a lot of agents that probably shouldn't even be in the business anyway. I think it's going to make people need to work, right? So I know that there's been talk of the, N of the NAR making the MLS public. I know a lot of uh, brokerages have already left their affiliate, left their association and affiliation with NAR. And what does that mean? That means they they're going to actually have to work to market the properties and to gain visibility. NAR was so bullish and strict on their, um, their, uh, on the agents that are affiliated with them that even if a, a seller said, you know what, no, I don't want to list my property on the MLS or uh, let's, you know, I, I have a pocket listing, or if you've heard that term before, if they ever even listed the property on a pocket listing site, they got fined if NAR found out about it. So it's been very like predatory. So I, you know, personally, I am glad that there are going to be some changes inside of NAR. It uh, costs an arm and a leg just to be a part of that association just and and we have to like we don't really have a choice right and so then in order to pay those fees they're telling you okay well this is how you charge for your commissions and whatever right so i think there's a, a it could be possibly a, a win i think a lot of people don't see it yet but i think if this is going to to patty's earlier point court of public opinion if people are going to have to deal with this they're going to have to have these conversations people agents are going to need to learn how to market themselves market their properties um actually do some real work 
out here. And I think that's probably going to be good for the industry. So I think um, once once things once this becomes a new normal um, and I don't know what the exact solution is going to be, but I think it'll be good for the industry. The change is good. Oh, we. Oh, man. So uh, let's let's see. Jamisha, what, what's your thoughts? Like, yeah. yeah. I, I I am truly excited about some of the things that it can bring to the market. And the reason is the level of professionalism. Like I stated, I've been in the industry 12 years and I have been on the other side of some realtors who were there. And I feel as if some of them were just collecting checks, putting names on contracts and going ghosts. Uh, what I believe these new expectations will allow people to rise to the, the, the occasion of being a real estate expert. And what that's going to do is going to it's going to help the industry as a whole. When I go out and I go to my kids career fair and I go to, you know, go to places in the industry, I want to be proud to be able to say I'm a real estate professional and how I'm serving my community without people that are not rising to the occasion of the profession, watering it down. So I, I think that that will truly happen when we have people who truly um when we're weeding out some of those characters that are, are in here who are not uh, continuously learning and becoming industry experts and behaving with a certain level of professionalism. What I think what will happen contractually is, I know in Texas, we are constantly getting uh, new updates to the contract. Our contracts already disclose the fact of uh, how negotiations work, all these fees are negotiable, that, you know, it, all of that stuff is already in the contract. Well, I will believe that we will have an additional layer of disclosing when it comes to commissions and fees that it will be almost redundant or doubly disclosed for the fact that we want to make sure that people are understanding that they are not uh, forced into paying certain someone's commissions, uh, that they did not know that they were. Uh, having to pay someone's uh, commission. Uh, what it will allow, allow us to do as well on the buyer, um, the buyer agency side is to, you know, have those conversations uh, and letting people know what your responsibility is as a buyer's agent. So I think it will be overall good for the industry. I do see a lot of streamlining with a lot of teams emerging in this. And it's only from the level of professionalism um, because individual agency real estate is a very expensive industry to be a professional in uh, the level of administrative work, uh, transaction work, the monies that it is costing to market these uh, properties professionally these days, uh, mailers, direct mail that can get very expensive. So I do see that possibly teams will be emerging uh, with this new market shakeup that we're seeing um, because of the cost that's involved to be a real estate professional. Nice. So what you're saying, I like that. So what you're saying is basically, instead of going at it alone, people are going to group up together and, and, and share some of those costs and just focus on doing more deals, more volume. Yeah, I, I believe so. I could see that being beneficial because it's, it's, it's an expensive industry. Share those resources. Cooperative economics. That's what I'm about. Good situation. Absolutely. So, so, so Patty, what's your thoughts? How do you think we're moving forward and how can we win this situation? 
Yeah, I think the biggest losers in the case are the realtors and it's nobody's fault other than NAR's representation. A, a, a group of people that mm -hmm. you pay a lot of money to. And when I remember when they were saying, we got to go uh, lobby and we got to do this and we got to that. You guys, let's raise money. All the realtors lined up because they're like, this organization protects us. Well, NAR failed you in this case. Yeah. And so the biggest loser are the realtors and because it's going to drastically shift the way business is done, has been done. It doesn't matter right now what one well one thing to note is it's not final and yes it's going to be an appeals court for quite some time but another class action lawsuit in another state was filed immediately because now they have the precedent so the problem is that it's not going to go away and the more it lasts even if the damages are cut even if nar's rule doesn't get thrown out the way that people perceive the commissions has forever changed. And the more cases come up, the more problematic that's gonna be for agents. So if you're a buyer's agent right now and you're working part-time, look for another job. If you're a buyer's agent right now and you can't go full-time, you're gonna to need to figure something else out. This is no longer going to be the business where you could dip one toe in and make a great load of extra side money and say, hey, I'm a teacher full-time, but, but I'm a realtor part-time, right? That's not gonna work for people anymore. Um, you, Jeremisha is absolutely correct. You're gonna to have to focus on volume, just like lenders did. You can't go do two, three deals and make a ton of money. You have to focus on volume. So what does that mean? That means a lot of agents need to become a lot more responsible with that commission. Uh, Raven made a comment about people who are not realtors don't understand the cost involved with being a realtor. Yes, and a lot of realtors don't understand how to manage their money. And a lot of realtors don't even own homes. So I challenge realtors, if you're listening, to think about those things. Think about the fundamentals of what it takes to run a successful high volume business. You have to be able to consistently market, to consistently sign listing agreements, and then take a portion of the revenue to create salary paid employees that can best represent every client that you bring through that door. That's gonna be the biggest change. So if you're not thinking about partnering with strong listing agents, doing this full time, and learning how to create volume right now, then and things are going to be a little bit more difficult for you than you might anticipate. I know because I've been through it. <laughs> Can I, I got to add, I, I think there's an, another layer, layer we need to talk about. We keep talking about the value that a buyer's agent brings to the table. And I would even argue that sometimes listing agents do a little less work. Like the, yeah. the buyer's agent is, again, not at any fault to the seller, right? I'm not making this the, the seller's problem in any regard, but they're out showing the properties. They're the ones responding to the text when the, the client is like, hey, I'm on Zillow. I just found this property. It wasn't in your search. Can we go see it tomorrow? And they're they're not only showing and traveling with these people, they're showing all these houses. They're in, uh, they're still in negotiations and bidding in a tight market, right? And um, where the inventory is still super low, right? Houses are still being sold at the top of the market and they're still navigating this, this terrain when, and, and that's a big reason why, being a listing agent in the realtor community, if you're the risk, the listing agent, you're looked at as superior for whatever reason in that transaction. And so, uh, but, but what did you do realistically? You went, you had the meeting, you signed the paperwork, you hired a photographer, you had your assistant, put it up on the MLS and you're just waiting on people to come to you. This is going to be a very different conversation when the pendulum swings back the other way. And if, if ever this turns into a, a buyer's market, which is a whole, other conversation for another day because of the current, you know, economic situation. So, I mean, 
could we really say the listing agent is holding all of the power in this regard? I mean, I'm not I'm not sure. I would argue that sometimes listing agents do less. I think the buyer's agent going to be more valuable if you ask me. <laughs> I think the value the value is in in the asset. I don't know that they're going to be more valuable. Like, hey, I have this this buyer that you need because at this point, uh, home values haven't declined enough to justify that argument yet, right? Well, yeah, home values are holding steady. Granted, people were paying overinflated prices when interest rates were super low, but that doesn't mean we haven't declined the the same rate that we uh, appreciated over the last two years. It hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen. Mm, I disagree. You know, a seller creates inventory. A seller, a, a sell, a listing agent has to go and seek out the people that want to sell and they're bringing the inventory. See, if you're a brand new agent today and you want to build your business, all you have to do is call 500 listing agents on the MLS and say, can I host your open house? Can I host your open house? Can I host your open house? And then you get to go stand in the open house of the listing that they created and you get to interact with 10, 20, 15, 30, 50 buyers as a result of that. It becomes extremely easy for you to attract clientele as a brand new agent because of the work that the listing agent did, creating the opportunity and bringing the product to the market. Without the product, you don't have a buyer and you don't have anything to sell. So creating the inventory and creating the marketplace is important. Then, of course, the buyer's agent who represents the buyer who was already coming to the house should be there because the buyer does need help. But I would argue that the listing agent is doing a lot of work to create that inventory and that opportunity. But let's be honest, the people going to the open house, I mean, everybody knows if I'm my agent and I'm holding a house open, the likeliness of the uh, a visitor coming in, buying that specific house that they came to see is, is not very high. What you're doing, you're casting a net to find, to say, hey, oh, you're looking, you're shopping, let me help you. This, this house might not be the one for you. You just happen to have a setting to bring people into, which yes, we can attribute to the listing agent, so to speak. But let's be honest, this is part of the problem. This is why there's no inventory because nobody's moving anything right now. Nobody wants to come up off that interest rate. Nobody's doing that. I disagree with you on that, but I'll, I'll, I, I don't, in the interest of time, I'll stop talking. <laughs> well, there's going to be distress, right? People are going to have to move at, at some point for some reason, but when people come to an open house, they want that house. They, they, they're, it's very no, likely that you're going to meet someone in that open house that is going to write an offer on that property. And you get the bonus of meeting a bunch of buyers that are in the market for other properties as well. Let's be, let's be for real. I've, I've been in, in an open house and people are just nosy. They all can't even afford this house. Why are you even driving around in this neighborhood? <laughs> like, why y'all worried? Why are you here? Y'all saw my balloons. Like, this is why you're here. <laughs> yeah, I disagree. Window shoppers. Right. Like, what you hey, want? Hilarious. Well, listen, I just want to say thank you, everybody who has participated in this conversation. But before we head out, before we head out, um, Kalani, where can they find you? And uh, yeah, where can they find you if they're looking for you? Sure. You can find me on all socials at Kalani B. Um, again, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Women in Real Estate. We are a national organization designed to empower women and minorities um, by getting them access to information and networks to create equitable opportunities. And your community is what is going to keep you afloat. If you are a professional in this business, your relationships really, really matter and you need them. You need a Patty, you need a Jermisha, you need a Byron and you need an O'Neill. You need a me to be able to call and say, hey, I need help right now. So if you are looking for your tribe, uh, find me on socials and, and let's see if we're the right fit for you. Ooh, and join as well. 
Yes, absolutely. We're inclusive. You just know who runs this. <laughs> who runs the world, girl? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I am Jermisha Goodo, also known as Madam Broker. So you can reach me on the socials at Madam Broker on IG. You can reach me on Facebook, Jermisha Goodo Broker Realtor. I am the broker and co-owner of Braden Real Estate Group. We are the largest female Black-owned brokerage, independently Black-owned brokerage in the Houston, Texas area. We do serve the Dallas areas as well, the Dallas area as well. So if you're looking to grow your real estate profile, if you're looking to buy that first-time home, or if you're looking to sell a home or hang your license with Brayden, we would love to have you. Give us a call down below somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank y'all. Last but not least, Miss Patty. Hey, what's up? So yes, you can find me everywhere all across socials at pattygoodspeed.com. Kalani and I host a once a month webinar. It is on the third Thursday of every single month. It's called The Truth Behind the Headlines. You can register at pattygoodspeed.com forward slash TBTH for The Truth Behind the Headlines. We started it to break down the headlines and have conversations just like this, where we disagree and we agree sometimes and we talk about things that matter and we help people understand the truth behind the news. So we do that all the time. And also I've been a mortgage banker for 21 years. I'm licensed in 20 states and I am ranked as one of the top 100 women in mortgage in the country. And I'm really excited about that. So I look forward to answering any questions anyone might have, having more conversations. And thank you again to the BOB crew for having me here. Man, thank y'all lovely ladies. I think it was a phenomenal show. If y'all thought it was a great show, man, make sure y'all put some flame in the chat. Make sure you hit the like button, man. We're almost at 100. If we can get 100, that'd be lovely. Man, it was a, it was a beautiful show, man. What was your thoughts? Oh, man, it's a beautiful show, man. Oh, this is a beautiful show. You know, it, it's funny, man, because, you know, when you're looking at a lot of what's going on in the economy, and then when you juxtapose that to what's going on in the realtor space, it's a lot of change that's upon us. And I'm just interested to see how that pendulum is going to swing, whether it's going to swing in the favor of the people or will it swing in the favor of realtors or investors. It's still one of those areas in the marketplace where we just don't know yet. We just don't have enough data to make that declaration. And so I'm just, you know, I'm just really just here to report the, the data. Right. And I hope y'all can appreciate the data, the facts. I'm, you know, I do have opinions, but I'll be honest with you. Opinions don't matter more than the data in, the in this particular market right now. So, so, so the data may not make you happy. It, it may not, it may not give you goosebumps and get you excited about all of the money that you're going to make. But if you, if you, if you pay attention to it and move accordingly, you can set yourself up to be able to be successful and win. Re, in re, in in the re, in reality, opposed to just getting yourself excited and getting yourself hurt in a market where it's just a lot of volatility right now. So, what's your what's your thoughts on that, O? Man, I think with all this, uh, at the end of the day, I think our sellers, our buyers, everybody needs to educate themselves more in this market. Uh, educate themselves more what they're doing because a lot of what we said earlier, a lot of sellers don't didn't know they could negotiate the realtor commissions. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't know what they're getting themselves into, so. Education on all levels, is, I think, is the number one thing. Absolutely. Even moving forward in this market, because this market is bananas right now. <laughs> it's bananas. So yeah. tell me this. I know we're going to have a live show, so if you haven't already, make sure you check us out live on Clubhouse 
at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time. We're going to be talking about specifically how do you win in wow. real estate tomorrow. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring some of the most brilliant minds together to talk about exactly how we are going to be competitive uh, uh, this year in early 2024. So you definitely want to take heed of what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. What 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 are you most excited about, um, O'Neill, in terms of being able to invest in the next three months, six months? What 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 what, get, what got you excited? Man, I'm always excited about picking the most picking up some properties. Man, a lot of people, um, like we was talking about earlier, a lot of people bought properties and they bought them too high. They just didn't know what they was doing. They want to get out. You know, what I'm yeah. we talking to somebody right now. It's a brand new house. I'm talking about five years old. Brick, very nice house. The man just like, I don't want it right now. I just, I work off show. I'm not even interested in the house. Y'all can go take it off my hands. So it's just wild. It's a blue ocean right now. Absolutely. But again, you gotta, it goes back to you. You gotta know what you're doing in this market. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I'm gonna say this, man. I'm gonna give my opinion on this before we head out. Um, I do believe that, that realtors do play a vital role in the market. I, I just don't know if, you know, many of them are going to be able to convey that value proposition um, in a way that's going to make them valuable enough to get a paycheck. So I'm interested to see how, how these paychecks are negotiated. I'm, I'm interested to see how these uncomfortable conversations when they had, when the seller owe back taxes and they want this, they want the, uh, the realtor to come off their uh, commission to help with some of them back taxes. I'm interested. <laughs> well, I ain't gonna lie, you know, they got a lot of realtors, but only like one to three percent are really making money anyway. So that's I think they're gonna find a way to still eat in this market. That's just that's just my thing. Cause they hustlers at the end of the day. Just like they got investors, but it's only a small portion of us. They got a small portion of realtors that's really be eating. So I think it's good. I think it continue to eat. That's a fact. Well, you know, when you think about uh the average, you know, wholesaler, you know, most have not done over 50 deals. You know what I'm saying? Um, most things. You got a smaller percentage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you start talking even 10 deals, bro, you know what I mean? They most probably haven't even done 10 deals. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's the same on the, on the realtor side. So, listen, man, another great show. Uh, yes, I just want to thank everybody who who came out. Hopefully, you know, you guys were able to, to take heed of some of that data. Um, I know that this 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 show was very very data centric. We talked about facts, right? We didn't. It wasn't a lot of opinion, right? And I just hope everybody can appreciate a fact based show because a lot of this stuff is just opinion and gossip and and, and drama. And you know, we we didn't really have a lot of that. Oh, we didn't have a lot of that. Shout out to all the people from man from the Braden Group, man. Shout out to the Wire community. Shout out to the No Sinji community. Shout out to y'all. Absolutely. Listen, and with that being said, man, listen, you got any final words, man, before we get to our sponsor? Hey, man, I'm ready to go, man. We got a show tomorrow, man. We got a show at 6 a.m., man. You know what I'm saying? Get it. Let's get it. I appreciate y'all, man. Y'all have a good night. Peace. Peace. What's up, y'all? So most people struggle with sales. A lot of us in real estate, we struggle with our sales. We struggle with followers. We struggle with leads. What's up, y'all? So most people struggle with sales. A lot of us in real estate, and we struggle with our sales. We struggle with follow We struggle with leads. And we're just basically missing out on deals. For me, I just got on Taskify CRM. They send messages out for you. And look, a lot of us have work. When you get off of work, you have hot leads ready for you. Make sure you check out Taskify CRM. 
I'm telling you, it automatically replies for you. And look, it sends you multiple messages. Like we're talking about drip, drip campaigns, so you're not missing up on the lead follow-up. So make sure you check out Taskify CRM. Use coupon code NoStingyEnergy to get 10% off. I'm about to show y'all inside my CRM so I can see how it really works. Make sure y'all check it out. Peace. What's up, y'all? So most people struggle with sales. A lot of us in real estate, and we struggle with our sales. We struggle with follow-up, we struggle with leads. And we're just basically missing out on deals. For me, I just got to go and test about CRM. They send messages out for you. And look, a lot of us have work. When you don't have work, we have hot leads ready for you. Make sure you check out test about CRM. I'm telling you, it automatically replies for you. And look, it sends you back to the Like we talk about drip, drip campaigns, so you're not missing up on the lead follow. So make sure you check out Tasky Fox Garden. Use coupon code NOSENGINE to get 10% off.